What is the St. Louis Mercantile Library? There's so many ways to explain it, but it's the oldest library west of the Mississippi in continuing existence. So the library itself was the first school in this city. It was the first theater. It was the first historical society, as well as being the first library of any kind with a lasting and a general collection. There are very few of these early American libraries left in the United States. There's only about 17 and we're one of them. Welcome to St. Louis in Tune, where we size up current and historic events involving people, places, and things in areas such as the arts, crime, education, employment, faith, finance, food, history, housing, humor, justice, and sports. Our weekly podcast gives you the edge to live a more informed life. We discuss more than just St. Louis as we connect the Gateway City to our country's current cultural fabric and lives. John Neil Hoover is the Endowed Mercantile Library Executive Director. In other words, it's the St. Louis Mercantile Library. He's the Executive Director, but it's a real fancy name that he's gotten recently. And the Mercantile Library, not a lot of people are aware of it. They may have uh-huh. heard about it. Maybe they'll think Mercantile right. Bank. John holds advanced degrees from the University of Missouri-Columbia, Southern Illinois University, and his alma mater is Northwestern University. He's the author of articles on regional culture studies as well as many other publications. He's curating a series of major exhibitions at the Mercantile right now, forming a collecting history of the organization, and has written to date Mapping St. Louis History, Commemorating the 250th Anniversary of the Founding of St. Louis, and Audubon and Beyond, Five Centuries of Natural History at the Mercantile Library. We've got him on because it is the 175th anniversary of the St. Louis Mercantile Library. Wow. And John, because he's been a former president of the the Bibliographical Society of America and a member of the American Antiquarian Society, he knows exactly what he's talking about. John, welcome to St. Louis in Tune. Well, thanks so much for having me. Now, many do not know what the St. Louis Mercantile Library is, so it's a basic question. What Mark's got his hand up. Yep. What is the St. Louis Mercantile Library? There's so many ways to explain it, but it's the oldest library west of the Mississippi in continuing existence. The reason why it's Mercantile is because it was founded by the early civic-minded, philanthropic business people of the city, and that was the model that extends all the way back to Benjamin Franklin's time in Philadelphia with the library company of Philadelphia or the New York Library Society. It's a, it was founded as an association of people who loved books and who loved history and, and the humanities. And, and they wanted to bring to, to the people education and discourse and knowledge and news and, and education. So the library itself was the first school in this city. It was the first theater it was the, in so many ways it was the first historical society as well as being the first library of any kind with a lasting and a general collection so we're very proud of that and we're proud that the city of st louis has always been in our hearts and has helped us continue to be here for all of these years there are very few of these early american libraries left in the united states there's only about 17 and we're one of them so these civic leaders and philanthropists, citizens of the frontier St. Louis, the purpose was to exchange books or, wow, if you wanted to know that, then you need to go to over there. But did they put their collection together so everybody could participate? 
At first, the, the, the city itself was a really great book town and in the early French days, and there are many examples of private libraries where people, you know, people in the very early frontier days, like Leclerc and, and Chateau, shared books with each other, and they collected them, but the, they imported them into town from, from Paris and England and created really some strong libraries. Now, when you ask, how did that work with us? Yeah, we have some of those very books that were donated by those city leaders in, in um, the early 19th century to us, and then we were able to build through a, a, a fee for, for members, if you will. I think it was $2 a year in those days. We would build collections, and those collections are the bedrock and the core of, of our institution. And over the years, they were useful books at one time, and they become pretty rare now. Books on travel and exploration and, and mapping. We, you mentioned the map exhibition. They're, they're, they, it's become, in later years, the Mercantile has become one of the great rare book libraries of the United States. And, and it's a research library today in the, all aspects of the humanities. And based here at the University of Missouri-St. Louis, our idea was to bring these collections to the students. So I'm hoping, you know, that you won't hear that. The University of Missouri has the great, produces the great workforce of this city, and we've been here for 25 years, and there's 15,000 students here, so multiply that by 25, and you're starting to see that a lot more people in later times, just like in our earliest times, they might not have the Mergentil Library on the, the cusp of their lips, immediately but they'll know about it and they over the years we've been, we persevered and we've um, been known by people who know to come to us and use us for the collections that are here now go into some of those collections because you have some unique things related to the inland waterways to the railroads and then you have quite a wonderful art collection so it's really an amalgamation of a lot of different things would you describe some of those things for us We're, one of the things i've always been proudest of when i first walked through the doors nearly 40 years ago what? i saw these wonderful paintings i'm sort of a frustrated art historian in many ways uh -huh. after college i studied a lot about it and when i would see native american portraits or harriet hosmer sculpture it was just like coming home to me oh. and so and i one of the first things that we also were was the first art museum in this community huh. and we we held the first art exhibitions in town and so it, it's it's an iconic collection that that really was known for for very special pieces. We were the first patron of George Caleb Bingham, and we we exhibited some of the really great art of the American West for the first time. The that that impulse created in later times an actual art museum, the Mercantile Library Art Museum, and that has has grown with each uh, year and we we built on landscape and portraits and narrative uh, genre paintings of the west and so we built on the in the old collections that we had here which were emblematic really of the of the collect of the book collections they were to try to let the let people come in and and in their mind's eye see what was behind in the closed stacks that they could request. That's what that art was all about at that time. But now it's a wonderful way in which we can support especially local artists and artists in a very diverse setting. And, and the collection of maybe, oh, 24 or 25 icons has grown into thousands of pieces of art.
from every walk from from artists from every walk of life, and we're very proud of that. You mentioned the railroad collection; it's the largest railroad collection in the United States. It's we were in the 1980s, about when I first arrived. The library was thinking, well, what's really about St. Louis that's national? And clearly, transportation was one of those big things, and river and rail collections both came here at the same time and we felt that was a very important thing to celebrate this the city's genius at the heart of the nation and and how from here much history radiated out through through uh, steamboats and trade and the, the transcontinental railroads and railroads coming into St. Louis these were great themes that the old merchants that founded the library were very well aware of, and we revisited that, too, and we're very proud of that. The library's river collections are, are absolutely the, a, a primary resource for the nation. The, when the Smithsonian needs something special about river history, they call us. When people, need, when people want to know about rail history that really created the United States, the, the, the railroads, in so many ways, they call us. We stay pretty busy here all the time. Hmm. Now, I'm going to take you back to your first day 40. at the St. Louis Mercantile Library. What was your first job there? Forty years ago. I was always the, special, the head of special collections. I came here specifically for that. I'm a trained rare book librarian, hmm. and, and, and I knew that this collection was uh, I remember being trained by an old book scout, and this is a man that would beat the bushes for for schools and and collectors. And he one time was looking in an old bibliography about first editions and was pointing to certain titles and said, "John, I fear these days a lot of this is gone, and you'll never handle any of these books." And I was working in a university library, just starting out from library school, and. The, the, I had done a little volunteer work in St. Louis, and I was, I was asked, actually, to come here to work permanently. And when I came in and I was shown the collections, everything that Book Scout showed me that he feared that I would never be able to handle in my own hands, we had duplicate copies of here at the Mercantile. And so I never looked back. This is the this is a place that I was meant to be, I think. And it was really that way in terms of, of working with the collections, with the people, with the members, with the friends, with the general public. That those are golden memories of mine. But actually, the core of it were the collections, which are really extraordinary. And I've um, always been been happy to put those in front of other people and to let them do research with them, but also to build and create even more opportunities by um, modern acquisitions. Now, I've got a boatload of questions here, but I want right. to take a, an off-ramp for a second. That, that's Mark's term. He, <laughs> no, that's he's, we're right. going to take a little off-ramp, go down right. the service road, <laughs> because this question, you have people who want to come do research, mm-hmm. and then you have some people who may just have an interest in seeing what's on display in the collection. So I'm going to go down that first road. If somebody has an interest in doing research, how do they go about contacting you or what's the best way to do that? Let's just say they have an interest in Lewis and Clark. The expedition started last week, the anniversary of that. We did a show on that. And so someone comes to you and says, I'm interested in doing some research on Lewis and Clark. How do you proceed from there? Basically, 
if they've already come to us, they sort of know our phone numbers and they know our website and they've contacted us, sure. And that's all online or, or in the phone book and on the Internet. And so once we get to that point, they'll come into a rare book reading room and sign in. And they're, this is so wonderful about a rare book library. They, If they're interested and, and they're looking through the catalog, and they would say, I see that you have a first edition of the travels of, of Captains Lewis and Clark. It's a great rare book, the foundation stone of all Americana collections, libraries, and private collections. Wow. That will be put in front of them after the normal protocols of signing into a rare book reading room are done and identifications, all of that, and that person can handle it and read it and see it. Normally, there are other editions of Lewis and Clark, modern editions, and so those can be, of course, checked out in general stacks and used, but if there's some reason that a person would like to see a signature, they're working on a book or they need a title page for work on Lewis and Clark, it's everything from advanced scholars, academics, people who are working on books, to people who, as you said, would like to come in and because they've heard your show and would like to do more deeper reading, we can we can provide both hmm. in, in the reading room under normal restrictions of a rare book reading room, which is under <laughs> camera and observance and security right. and, and pens, use pencils and, and our paper is provided to people. But it's, it's you go into some museums and say, um, I'd like to handle all of the rare export trade china that you've got from this and this collection or this collection, and you can see how far you get. Yeah, not very far. <laughs> no, but books are different. They're for everyone, and we try very hard to, to provide access to them in whatever way is most appropriate. We've got to be careful with early newspapers and early books of great fragility mm-hmm. because, of course, they're old and paper is fragile. But under a good controlled setting, a patron here can can see these things and use them. And we're very happy that we can provide that service. A lot of our research these days for for people, we're one of the really great digital platforms for history and in this city. And so all through the pandemic, when, when our reading room was not open to the public, we were online helping people constantly with with hundreds of requests from all across the country and it could be where we would be providing an image or a a digital resource or guide people through the online archives so that they could do this themselves or or link up to other archives that are online but so we do provide a very strong and vigorous digital service as well for our collections and our students John, that was where my question was going to be, digital. <laughs> so you've been yeah. w- working on that, That's I basic. guess. We're not, we're not this old, like, very, <laughs> there's some sort of an feat secret in this city. We don't want, we don't like that. We don't want people to, that sort of special or cognoscenti type things makes it sound romantic that, oh, the best secret in St. Louis or St. Louis itself is the best secret for travelers or any of that. I suppose that sounds special for a while, but when you get start to think about it, that's not a very good place for any institution or any city or or any aspect to be. You want to, I was looking at 
sort of like thinking about your own radio station. You want to be as accessible and to create as many opportunities for discourse as possible. One of the things we did was to really uh, pull ourselves up by the bootstraps with this wonderful, very promising age we're in where we can use technology to want to preserve the collections and get them digitized, but also to provide access in ways that we never could before through through digital research online. And we are available on the World Wide Web yeah. live, or you can listen on your computer at kwrh929.org or radiostl.com. John, if I'm just coming in, I probably need to make an appointment, correct? It's very good, especially in these days of pandemic. There, we're still, of course, where the we we still have distancing and we're masked up. I, I know that the community, more and more people are vaccinated all the time, and there's so many important information resources that everybody has for that day to day. But here, our reference room is open in in our regular hours, which are posted. And right now, the university itself is on is on spring break so the after the, the graduation students in the spring so our schedule is that schedule too and so it is very good to call the reference room and and the group of reference librarians we have here led by Charles Brown who's legendary reference librarian and has helped so many people on so many subjects or or the others they're all listed and people can contact and we do encourage people to call to make an appointment Walk-ins are serviced when we can do it, but our hours, we the reference room closes at 4 o'clock the days that it is open, which are Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And so those are, it's so, you, you need to provide, you need to protect your own time to make sure that we've got things ready for you and that you can, that and what we have is available and people can come in and do that research. Good question about that. We're talking to John Hoover. He's the executive director of the St. Louis Mercantile Library located at the University of Missouri-St. Louis. And, and John, you have some special exhibits going on, I know especially since it's the 175th anniversary of the library. And we set up an appointment to come over there and check out the exhibits and just walk around. That's That's what we would do. But describe that exhibit a little bit more in detail and maybe some other exhibits that you have planned or have done in the past. Sure. The And also, too, during the week, it's really a person can come in and, and visit the library and look at these um, exhibitions on their own. But we do, we do can schedule here a docent-led tour for smaller groups. I believe there were up to... Uh, Four people, they sort of the size of one dozen and, and two couples, and then we can have two of those simultaneously going at, at, at one time. And we larger groups will come back to us for these tours, and and that's fine. But it's I think actually it's a wonderful opportunity if you can get one of those scheduled to come in with a docent led tour. If you don't plan to come back several times because what for this for the for our anniversary exhibition it's uh, you mentioned the map exhibition that we did to, uh, that was the begin we started celebrating our 175th anniversary about 8 years ago through a series of exhibitions you mentioned the map exhibition it was embraced by uh, the night that we closed it we had dozens of people looking at the maps one last time people love maps then 
we did an exhibition on natural history, and then the second to the last one in a series was on historic newspapers. The library is one of the largest, maybe one of the ten largest collections of historic American newspapers in, in the United States. And then to finish this period of celebration of, of the 175th, which we felt was very important to do through our collections. No cultural institution in the city has, can reach that date within 25 years of us. Wow. And we're really proud that as the grandparent of all the other cultural institutions, we have that in our history. But we wanted to actually do something to show why that was important. And so the fourth exhibition is called A Nation, A City, and its first library, uh, Americana as a Way of Life at the St. Louis Mercantile Library for 175 years. And, and the idea behind that is people have always asked me, what do you collect that makes you different from, oh, say, the historical society? And so we collect nationally. We collect St. Louis, which is similar to, say, Mohes, because, because St. Louis has a national story and and, uh, and so that's where we make a make a difference and what so what these different galleries we have eight galleries of exhibitions telling that story but no I just wanted to sum up to say that what we really were trying to do was to show at times how the city and the nation of course they're collected here and the mercantile would have had a, an influence in in that but at many times the city and the nation and the library came together in living history itself. The, the the library was a drill ground and a capital during the Civil War for the state. The Emancipation Proclamation was ratified at, um, in the hall of the Mercantile Library. The great Never Senator Benton, the greatest senator probably ever came from Missouri, lay in state. He had uttered a, a speech that said that when he pointed to the to the west, and he said the Orient's markets are through that are through that direction. When he was really promoting the Western railroads, he did that at the Mercantile. And so there's so many there's so many ways in which the the library lived its history as well as collected it. And that's what this exhibition is about. And it, it's we've looked at American people and their narratives. That's one of the really prime things that Americana is all about. First editions, Americana First. We've got the the first novel written in English on display, the first book of poetry printed west of the Mississippi, wow. the first city directory, the 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 first time that Missis that Mississippi or Missouri appeared on maps, and indeed the first time that St. Louis appeared on a map. Those are all on display wow. in that particular gallery, and and then we drill down into concentrations. The library is one of the great collections in the United States on Native American history. Hmm. And so what were called Indian galleries by Catlin and Bodmer and Edward Curtis are all on display. And the and, and we did we did an imaginary tour of the mercantile in a, in, a, in another gallery that had uh, that really tried to show what the library looked like in the 1840s when we were founded. Those are all uh, things that are on that we're showing. We in the center we've got we've got a very impressive and poignant collection of of early what were called slave narratives everything from Frederick Douglass's life the first edition of that to to numerous other copies from the Helen Nash collection here of African American history in Africana 
and uh, we tried to do a bit of a rendition of 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 the era of the of, of slavery to the to the civil war to freedom. So we've got everything from from those slave narratives to the Meacham letter that Packard collected on how he preached to slaves and taught school in the middle of the the river in a steamboat to avoid the legal aspects and pre pre-emancipation times, all of that, the, a, a funerary ornament in silver from Lincoln's hearse that's been in the collection since 1865, wow. those are all on display. Chuck Berry's scrapbooks, we tried to show for the triumph of African-American art and culture in this show, so that's on display. So, in other words, uh, we tended to pull out the stops of Americana in all of the ways in which we've approached it through the years and how we're building it in the future. Where do you so that gives you a rundown of what we feel like is a the final the the final chapter of these four large exhibitions that we put together. John, you must have a big storage locker somewhere <laughs> to to store all this <laughs> well, wonderful stuff. I, the Morgan Hills been been in three buildings and and two rented apartments downtown before the first building was built, uh-huh. and we're always out of space. But we consider that really very healthy to keep growing and right. keep building, just as long as we can always provide for the trust of the of the of mm-hmm. our patrons that they have access to these collections. Right. You know that's that's what we yeah. that's what we're really all about in trying to preserve the story of our of our community as well as our nation. And to let the community know exactly how important the St. Louis Mercantile Library is, the St. Louis Symphony played its first concert in the library. Oh, right. A series of lectures were held in the auditorium where speakers such as Mark Twain, oh. Ralph Waldo Emerson, and Oscar Wilde spoke. Oh, my. Another thing about the St. Louis Mercantile Library that people may not know, that the one of the original buildings on Locust Street uh-huh. had a 2,000 seat grand hall, which was the largest auditorium in the city of St. Louis at the time. And the first session of the Missouri Constitutional Convention in 1861 met in the library, voting to stay in the Union at the beginning of the American Civil War. Wow! One time I one time I went to to I think it was an Irish American celebration downtown and I was at a table and the and someone in there to me said oh John uh, is this the largest program you've uh, ever seen downtown close to the library and I said Irish and he said oh yeah sure at least not since Oscar Wilde spoke at the Mercantile to 2000 people <laughs> <laughs> so that kind of it, anyway, it, it does. It has a great heritage. The Emerson letters are on display. Some of them right now. Wow. And the, the Emerson, I've always looked on as this great transcendentalist. One of our greatest painters in this in in our region was Frederick Oak Sylvester, and he was a great transcendentalist in art. So I've juxtaposed Emerson coming to St. Louis with our most recent acquisition of of, of a Sylvester painting. And that's how these galleries are working. They're, we want people to think and look at the hand lists and maybe read the catalog and, and see how all of these various strands and vectors of culture come together in a library like this. Now, did you start at the building on Locust that's now the MX and it's being transformed? Is that the place that you started? Yeah, it was built in, in it was opened in, in, the, in, in 1889 after 
after about 35, 37 years in the first building, which was deemed to not be fire uh, proof. And so the second building was a magnificent structure that was that over the years had been remodeled several times on the outside. And it looks that way, but it was a ornate Florentine counting house type of a building when it was originally built. The, the closest building I could link to it downtown that's still standing is probably the security building. Yeah, it was and gorgeous. So we, uh, huh. Yeah, that's where I started. And was the old reading room had was it's it was it really represented a great deal of what the overall library was always all about so we tried to construct a little bit of that with enlargements and with furniture from that building and from the first building itself and the one gallery that i mentioned was an imaginary tour now you've seen a lot of things over the course of your time at the st louis mercantile library is there a favorite item or one or maybe a couple that, whether it's a book or it's a document or it's a painting or it's a sculpture or something like that, that really says, wow, I really love seeing that all the time. I never get tired of looking at this. Is there something like that at the library for you? There, there are so many, but one that one in particular that I've always really loved is the is John Casper Wilde's view of the river heading down from Carondelet on South Broad. It's, there's just, there's no more St. Louis early frontier picture like it than I think of. And I, and that's, it used to hang in the old reference room downtown. And when I first saw it, I thought, oh my goodness, what a great piece. And Wild was the, really had done some of the very, very first images of the city. I love that one. The Mercantile asked George Catlin to paint a view of the city from out in the harbor. And so we we have a print we we printed that and made up for distribution and those prints are very rare but I'm very proud of it especially and it's beautiful especially when it's been hand watercolored like the old 19th century artists used to do that and it's and, and I'm so proud of it. it says from the Mercantile Library Association View of St Louis by George Catlin those are two are really my favorites in terms of the art the great book. On, on the Valley of the Mississippi, illustrated by Henry Lewis. It's one of the great Midwestern rare books of the entire Mississippi. That's, I, I suppose that's truly one of my favorite books in the collection. And we have one of the only two known copies of it in English, as well as all of the many views that it that was in. Those are some of my favorite, but my, I warn you, I could just keep going. Oh, yeah, you know, what a gem. All right. Wow. When you're... Walking around and <laughs> looking at all these things and know what's in the collection over the course of the time that you've been there. And then new things coming in on, I would say, on a regular basis. I, I would just be, wow. it's like a kid in a candy store. It's our own little Smithsonian Institute here. Yeah, It is St. Louis and St. Louis's Smithsonian. You're, you're totally right. And, and the Smithsonian knows that. You know, so we were, <laughs> actually, we were both. We were both. We were sort of the Smithsonian West. They were founded the same year we were. And I've always, I've seen people that have come in our collections and maybe had a tour of the back stacks. And we're, we're talking about specialists and and scholarly people. They've looked and they thought, my goodness, it's it's every state. It's every. It's not. It's not just uh, Missouri. It's significant as that the history of this great state is but it's every it's everywhere and it's and it's every nation so we've tried our very best to 
be as broad as we could, but we've drilled down and been deep in other subjects too. And so that, that gives a wonderful tension to the place. And I hope my successors will never tire of, of loving it and working with it and preserving it the way that the current staff has done. We know that you've done a wonderful job. We've been talking to John Neal. He's the executive director of the St. Louis Mercantile Library. They are celebrating their 175th anniversary this year. You can go to umsl.edu forward slash mercantile to get more information. John, thank you very much for coming on St. Louis in Tune. We'd we'd love to have you back to keep current on the exhibitions that you have. Real pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. John. Thank you, sir. Take care, John. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> what, who, the West, what is it, the, uh, the Smithsonian West? The Smithsonian West, right. Oh, they should change the name. The things there are just, it's just unbelievable. I don't know, and it's, it is a gem here. It's oh. on the UMSL campus, or UM St. Louis campus. Oh, no, I didn't know that. On the West End, it's by right by the Thomas Jefferson Library. That's how you would enter okay. the Mercantile Library, is okay. go, through, go into the Thomas Jefferson Library, which is wow. the, the main library there on the UMSL campus. But the, the things that are there are just incredible, and if you have any interest in history or you're doing any kind of research, they are the place to go. He was talking about the building down on Locust Street, the second yeah, one that was built. That's very sad to it me. Had, and when they remodeled it, uh-huh. I was reading about this, they took off all of the, I guess, accruements that were hanging uh-huh. on, the gargoyles and uh-huh. all the extra fancy stuff that was on the outside. They took it off so they could get a flat, put these flat pieces on there and make it look who, more, quote-unquote, modern. Who does that? Why do they do that? And the people, that the historical pe- folks that have been in that original building, standing on that stage, that's what hurts me, is that then you tore the building down. I hope they took some of the some of the stage, pieces of the stage. Yeah, they... they, they they did that at, in Nashville, the Grand Old Opry, when they redid it. They took pieces of the old stage, oh, cool, and they put that in on the new stage, as they should have. That it, would make sense, yeah, because that's where some very yeah famous people have stood. Now I know they took some of the they took the reading room, like mm-hmm. he was talking about. They took that, and they that's at the they actually current took it. current library okay. now. Okay, yeah, but the old I should say the old the one down on Locust, which is now going to be condominiums i believe they that used to be the first national bank of st louis i believe that was the bank that was down there uh-huh. they were on the first few floors and the library was really only on the sixth floor okay which is when you see their collections how big was that building yeah. or that floor uh-huh. and now they're, they're on multi-levels and you go into multiple mm-hmm. rooms and things like that but for our listeners out there in listener land here are a couple other things that they have and don't forget they have a photo and film archives of TWA, Trans World Airlines. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. They have a signed and complete first edition double elephant folio of John James Audubon's Birds of America. Oh, my. Which is a huge, big deal. They have the authenticated journal of August Shoto describing the founding of St. Louis. Golly. What would that be like to oh my turn the pages of that thing? Oh, They yeah. have a death mask of Napoleon Bonaparte. Oh, wow. Really? Yes. They have the clippings and the photo morgue of the St. Louis Globe Democrat, over 10 million documents that's on a searchable database by subject name. Oh, that's where they ended up. And it just goes on and on and on. The Globe Democrat. Wow. 
That was the morning paper, wasn't it? Yes. And then the afternoon was the post. Yeah, they kind of made sure that they weren't competing against <laughs> each other. But the original, one of the original papers, the St. Louis, I think it was the St. Louis Star. Uh-huh. One of those. So, folks, if you get a chance, go to umsl.edu forward slash mercantile. And what you will get when you go there is the Mercantile Library site. They then can direct you around where you want to go on there. They have some tours that you can set up, library tours. He mentioned also about uh, some research, the collections, their events and exhibits, the anniversary educational series. Some of that's online. They have some great stuff for teachers and students alike on that. I also have a Facebook page where you can go and uh, check them out there. Some of the interesting things, the number of books that they have. the To actually be able to hold some of these books in your hand. Oh, yeah, that's the thing. That's You've got oil and grease in your hands. I guess they make you wear, wear gloves, gloves. I would mm-hmm. think so. But still, to hold one of those books that, like you said, turn the pages. Oh, my goodness. It, it's put you in a position of appreciating... What an opportunity, yeah. What happened oh, previously. Yeah. Historical things, and I know we do talk about history a lot on this show, mm-hmm. but if we don't know our history, what's going to happen? Oh, we have no history. Nobody will know. Or we'll repeat things. Oh, heaven forbid that. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> don't, don't make me repeat things. <laughs> <laughs> I do that enough as an old guy. <laughs> but many of the cities and counties of St. Louis... They have their repositories of their artifacts and documents at the museum. So if you want to see certain aspects of maybe, like Webster Groves right here, they have uh-huh. a historical society. They have documents and artifacts right. and things. But many municipalities or many counties in the state of Missouri send those things to the Mercantile Library for not only safekeeping, but you have just a general catalog of right. things that are going on. What a great, it's a wonderful program and idea because so much of that, I know I worked with our historical society and so many items, photographs, things like that were in people's homes and their private collections, right. if right. you will. And I'm like, oh my goodness, when you pass away or whatever, I hope somebody just doesn't all right, bring the dumpster in. Let's clear the house out. And right. there they go. That's what happens. I, it does. And so I'm really happy. I, I would encourage anyone that has historical photographs and things like that, quit hoarding them. Or <laughs> before you throw them away right. or tell, tell the kids them. or whoever, hey, this is valuable. This is important. Let somebody or know. put it in your, right. your not your, well, your will, but put it in your, what do they call it, a trust uh-huh. and say, hey, I want the folks at the Mercantile Library to look at these things before right. you all dispose of these things. I don't know if they do that. I'm I, just supposing. I would hope people would do that because that's important. I know people that have very historical photographs and they're like, Yep, they're mine, and I'll show them to you when I want to. And I just it makes me mad. Makes me mad. Yeah, makes um, me crazy. There's also they also have in their Missouri Valley room a genealogical collection. So uh-huh. if you want to trace back some genealogy a uh-huh. little bit, uh-huh. you can do that. That's a fascinating thing. A lot of people are doing. Wow, it's crazy. I need to go and see it. I had no idea it was at Umsol. I couldn't have told you that. So, the Smithsonian West. That's what I'm going to call it from now on. Forget the mercantile. It's the Smithsonian West. Well, and you understand why, because St. Louis was really the first 
major yeah. city established west of the Mississippi, right. why we're first in a lot of things, right. why the museum's so old, first right. one of the first symphonies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We even have in our community here probably – it will be debatable with a group in Boston, but the first art gallery, longest held art gallery in the United States, is here in St. Louis. Matter of fact, it's here in Webster Groves. Oh, really? Yes. What do they know in Boston? It's McCon and Burr. Okay. Shameless plug for <laughs> Scott and Sarah Kerr. <laughs> That's okay. We appreciate you listening to this episode of St. Louis in Tune. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing to the podcast to keep up on all of the latest episodes. St. Louis in Tune is produced in cooperation with KWRH 92.9 FM and Motif Media Group. For St. Louis in Tune, I'm Arnold Stricker.